welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider. Joining me as always, my good friend Doug Christie. DC, what's going on? Yeah, man, you got it, brother. I am uh, about to stand in line and get myself a uh, some fries and a uh, and a chocolate. Yeah, you like chocolate, right? I love the chocolate frosty. Yeah, it is, it is an awesome thing. So, uh, yeah, I'll be at Wendy's near you, buddy. Oh, there we go. There we go. Uh, last week, we had Scott Pollard on the podcast. If you guys haven't listened to the Scott Pollard podcast, uh, it was so incredible that we decided we needed to not have a guest this week because it just was overwhelming. Uh, we talked Survivor. We talked uh, life in general. Uh, we talked all kinds of Kings basketball history. Uh, so make sure to tune in and listen to the Scott Pollard podcast from last week. It was great stuff. It's evergreen content. It doesn't grow old on you. Uh, Doug, we've got so much to cover, though, and that's why I really do want to focus, uh, not bring in a guest this week, and focus on what is happening with the Sacramento Kings right now. We're about we're entering the final phase, the last 25 games of the season. Uh, the Kings, of course, on Thursday night, lost a heartbreaker on a Russell Westbrook three-pointer. Um, but now there's 24 games, and we really need to break down what it is that we want to see from this team over the next 24 games. And on top of that, we got some All-Star Game stuff. We got we, we just have some craziness. So so for you, we talked a little bit about this on the the pod on the on the telecast last night with with Feldy. But yeah, what are your keys to the final the final twenty four twenty five games here? Well, first first thing we, we gave it to him. We gave it to uh, Kings fans, kind of as our wish. And yeah. mine was the first one was the core eight needs to separate, and and I can unpack that here a little better than on television because we, we were very time constrained, but. When I look at the core eight, and let me give them to you, that's Bogey, De'Aaron, Willie Cauley-Stein, Buddy, Justin, Scal, Frank, and Harry. Okay, And when I look at those, I look at them in two separate groups, and each group has a sub. So the first group is Bogey, De'Aaron, and Willie Cauley-Stein. And when I look at that, Bogey and De'Aaron, I think, have absolutely set themselves apart from the standpoint that as rookies, and let's let's make no mistake about it, they still have a lot to prove. But as rookies, in my opinion, they've proven that they are going to be okay. And going forward, excuse me, him, they should be totally fine. Now, Willie Cauley-Stein is in that group, and there's a bit of up and down from Willie that I still want him to smooth out. I mean, there needs to be a level of consistency that even on a bad night, he's still able to give you a double-double. Maybe it's a low double-double on a bad night, but on a good night, it's 21 and 12. On a bad night, it's it's uh, 10 and 11 or something like that. Uh, and then in the sub of that first group is Buddy Hill, and Buddy is continuing to grow he has a professional grade shot, Ham. I mean, the kid can knock it down, but what he needs is he needs space. And he just needs to learn, how do I get my space on the court? And there are many ways that he can do that. And it's, he's going to have to take the summer, not to just totally continue to work on his shot and all the little shots that you need. It's, it's the screening, the, 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 um, 
understanding of space on the floor and different things like that and using one, two, three dribbles to get his shot off. And I think three dribbles would probably be the max that he would need to use to get a shot off. In that second group, I got Justin, Scal, Frank, and then Harry is the outlier. And obviously we know because we haven't seen Harry, but he's in the group, but he's, he's on the outlier side. When I looked at Justin uh, in that second group, I say that, that there's possibilities with him, but where exactly is he going to go? Is he going to be a 3 and D guy? If he is, he's going to have to start knocking down that corner three, uh, a la Bruce Bowen at a really high clip and, and really lock in on the defensive end because I think that he has some ability there, but he's going to have to really solidify the defensive side. You talk about Scal. Scal, maybe I, I put too much expectations on Scal initially, but I see all the talent and the possibilities, and you just want it to come out so fast. And maybe it's going to take a little bit more time with Scal. Offensively, I think that you see he has a professional-grade shot, too. I mean, he can absolutely knock that thing down. But now he's going to have to get more in his head with his game, and it's going to be more reading and not so robotic. And then defensively, again, you need him on the defensive end. You know, him, Willie Colley-Stein, Justin Jackson, if those guys can improve defensively with a good bogey on a, a team defense, and obviously De'Aaron Fox, that would be great. Last but not least is – or not last but not least, but second to last is Frank. And when I look at Frank, I, I think Frank was playing some fantastic basketball ham before he got injured. And the thing that I like about Frank is he was letting his defense dictate that. Now, there was a time as it went on right before he got hurt where he began to struggle because they were making him finish at the basket. So he's going to have to take the summer and kind of maybe look at like um, – uh, who do I want to use as an example? Um, uh, Isaiah? Steph Curry. Uh, <laughs> I, Isaiah, Steph Steph Curry, for instance, uh, Steph, even though Steph is bigger, he, he understands all the little shots and the ability to use his body and different things as opposed to just like trying to overpower somebody or uh, have more speed than them. So that, that would be something Frank needs to work on. But defensively, he's solid coming in and understanding how to run the team. I think he's going to be just fine. Growth, yeah, you need growth, obviously. And then last but not least, Harry. Uh, Ham, you and, you, you and I talked about this many times. Harry is the X factor. Uh, what is he going to be? What can he be? And what I've seen from him, I, I'm, tr I'm, I'm very bullish. But, hey, we, we have to wait and see. Uh, and then we mentioned this. Uh, number two on our wish list was becoming a better defensive team. And I think we've seen that last night in the first quarter that they really, really struggled. They have to come out and – even though you're young and what have you, you want to set a defensive tone. And if you begin to do that, the game is going to come so much more easier for you because, first of all, you let your defense dictate your offense, and you're young. So if you get stops, you'll get out in the open floor. You'll get dunks and different things like that. You start picking up full court. You turn a guy twice before he crosses half court. Uh, guys on the wings are up in the passing lanes and, and what have you. And it's just a defensive identity that I would like to see them establish. And then Last but not least is uh, become bullish from the three-point line. Shooting such a high percentage, Ham. They are second, I believe, in the NBA in three-point percentage, but they are in the last two or three slots in both attempts and makes in three-pointers, but they, they're shooting it now. 
you can't just go out and jack them up. I, I, I want to make that clear. I don't want you to sacrifice uh, attempts for the quality of the attempt. So that means that they have to learn how do we get our shots? How do we penetrate and kick? How do we use the pick and roll? How do we penetrate into the paint and finish, which draws the defense in a couple times? Before we attempt that three-pointer, how do we use the clock in uh, two-for-one situations? And there's a lot of different ways that you get that shot up, but they have to figure that out, and they get that that three-point percent. I mean, three-point making attempts up. So those are just a few things. There are more, but in, in my mind, those are some of the important ones here. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. So I, I'm going to take some things here. We'll, we'll discuss a couple of them. Um, number one. Okay. Uh, the three-point attempts we've talked about uh, a bunch of times. And um, I, I think one of the really interesting things, if you if you look at the Kings' season and their stats for the season, they are all good three-point shooters. I mean, even mm-hmm. Zebo's numbers are, are quality. Uh, if you look at, you know, again, the guards, the guards are have been great. De'Aaron Fox has been, he's fallen off in the month of February on his three-point shot. I think he's only shooting 17% in the month of February, um, but he shot, you know, tremendous in the month of uh, of January, and he's starting to show signs. But Buddy Hield is a shooter. Bogdan Bogdanovich is a, is a shooter. Uh, even when George Hill was there, he is a shooter. Uh, Frank Mason's stats on the season from the three-point line are spectacular. Um, they really do have a lot of good shooters, and even Garrett Temple. Garrett Temple's had a, a quality season as far as shooting the three. Uh, Vince Carter. Uh, again, we can just keep talking about how many shooters they have. They got to shoot it more. Um, you mentioned Justin Jackson, uh, and his inability to hit that corner three to me, it's almost a do or die situation with Jackson, because if he can't hit that corner three consistently, and I'm going to give him more than, you know, this 24 game window, but if he can't hit that three from the corner, he gums up everything. It just, if you don't have to guard a guy there, then there's no reason to have a guy there. There's no reason to have a guy on the court uh, because it's, he's a floor spacer. He's not a creator. He's, he's not a great rebounder. Uh, you know, physicality wise, he, he's getting better and we're actually seeing him be able to defend some pretty shocking players. I, I mean, watching him go up against some of these guys last night that are, you know, NBA legends pretty much. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, you know, some people say, oh, is he a Hall of Famer? And I, I think he's made like 13 All-Star games. I think that means he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, and, and if you really look at like the players he's going up against, he held his own. Did he get beat up by Paul George a little bit? Sure. But Paul George is a really, really physical 3-4. Um, a guy that, you know, in the modern NBA is a perfect fit for that 3-4 position. Uh, and Justin Jackson has to learn these things. But some those are some of the things that came to my mind while you're talking about this. I completely agree agree with you with the core eight. Um, we have no idea what what Harry is going to be, uh, but everything we're hearing is is spectacular. Um, you know, we we'll talk about uh, all of these players uh, during the course of the pod. But um, Scalabissier, he returns last night after missing a bunch of time, and, and we're talking about. This is a huge 24-game stretch for Scal because, for me, it becomes, is that position okay? Is the power forward position, and you can mix a lot of guys in that power forward position. You can say Zach Randolph is under contract for next year. You can say Costa Kufis uh, can play the center position, which means that Willie Cauley-Stein can play the four. Um, Harry, Harry Giles is coming up. But Scal has to show that 
he can be a serviceable NBA player in this final 24 games. Because if not, the Kings have to go out and get a stretch four. They've got to go out and, and or get a, a active, you know, uh, a guy like a, a Quincy AC or a Jordan Bell or, you know, someone who goes in there and bangs and does crazy things at that four position and hustles. Scal kind of has to show in this last 24 games that he has to be all of that. He has to learn how to defend the four. He's got to learn how to play this stretch four position. I don't know about you, but getting some time away, we've we've talked about this with De'Aaron, uh, hopefully with Frank as well, but getting a little bit of time away. I talked to Scal last night following the game, and he said, you know, again, it, it gave me perspective. And I thought he was absolutely tremendous defending the three-point line. Did he miss his rotations every once in a while? Did he not close out perfectly? Uh, yeah, there were there were some issues, but holy cow, what a huge improvement. I think that might yeah. be the way that he gets on the floor. You know, Ham, as you say that, I, I took notes last night, and there were two notes that stood out to me with him. And uh, I, I don't know if he ever listens to our podcast, but if he does, I, I, I hope that he works on these because defensively, these are two areas that, if he just did this, he would he would improve on the defensive end, in my opinion, immensely. Number one is position, and I don't mean spatially. I mean his physical stature of a position. He bends over at the waist, therefore he puts all of his leverage and in, in his balance goes forward. So before he gets ready to move, he has to bring his chest up before he moves. So he has to learn how to get down in a proper defensive position and move. If he does that with that length, he would be able to cover a lot of ground. The other one is on, on screenaways and sometimes even on a pick and roll. How he lets his, his, his own player, his defensive player, through is he backs all the way up and then lets them through. And I'm sure that, that because that's how, you, that's how you tell them to do it. But there are ways to be more efficient at it, meaning that if my guy's going to screen your guy, Ham, and I call the screen out, and I back away from my guy like four feet, and then I let your guy through, and I let you through the pick. Now you get through the pick. The only problem is he's backing up so far that there's extra space. All he needs to do is back up far enough, grab his own player, and pull him through. He will be so much closer to his guy, he could almost keep his hand on him. Now his guy might not even catch the basketball. Little tiny things like this, with that size, that athleticism, he could become a good defender just on two little small things, Ham. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with with what you're saying. And I think this is some of the, the issues that uh, that we've talked about, but really that, you know, you and I have had conversations when we're driving in the car and we're talking about, you know, the fire, finer nuances of the game of basketball. And I think what a lot of fans completely overlook and and when they hear us talking about like so many young players the problem that you have is that young players they pick up nuances of the game but they pick those up well after they pick up the basics they have to they have to figure out the basics first they have to know how to set a screen before they can start learning how to use a screen effectively and pivot their hips the right way to free up more space uh, a guard can can start, you know, calling for a screen, but it takes a little while for a guard to know understand how to use the screen properly. 
And that's why taking on so many young players is is crazy. It really it is. It's it's wild because even if you have four guys that are in their mid twenties that have been in the league for four or five years, they've already gone through the process of learning the basics of of what they need to do, and they've started to pick up the nuances that come after the basics. And that's why I really I hope the Kings look at that seriously when they go into next season. Uh, and, and they bring in a couple more veterans. Um, again, they're going to be up against a roster pinch just like they were this year, but they might have one extra spot. Um, but I need to see that. I need to see players that understand the nuances, and I also need for these young guys to start picking up on the nuances. And in order to do that, they're going to have to watch film. They're going to have to play a lot of basketball. That's why playing the game means so much because you can only do so much in drills uh, and in practice when you get on the court the motion the feel everything of the game is different it's it's you know it's like swimming in a swimming pool versus swimming in the ocean it's just completely it's swimming but it's completely different once you're in the two different uh type styles of water and I, i think that's something that this team needs to learn. It's just the little things that will make them so much better. Yeah, it, the fundamentals are, are where it's at, and I know that the coaching staff works endlessly on them uh, with the players, but it just it's something that takes time, Ham. It does take time. All right, this is the NBC Sports Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Wendy's. The new smoky mushroom bacon cheeseburger is Wendy's most craveable cheeseburger yet, but it's only here for a limited time. So swing by Wendy's and get one while you can, no matter what it takes, Doug. I'm going to drive you, just so you know, I'm going to drive you to a Wendy's drive-thru next time that we're doing a car cast, and we're actually going to sit there. And You're not going to order a cheeseburger, I know, but I I am going (laughs) to order a smoky mushroom bacon cheeseburger, Doug. I'm going to do it. Have at it. Do and it, then, do and then we're gonna have frosties. I'll sit there and support you. Frosties and French fries. We're gonna we're gonna dip in the car as we drive. Uh, Doug, how do you? I mean, again, you want to teach nuances to these guys like today. I I know you do because I have conversations with you, and it's like you want to pull somebody aside and say, "Hey, look, you know, this is what we're talking about." It's not, you know, I think the progression that I've seen with young players is. First, they're doing play sets and they're running to a spot on the floor because the coach told them to run to that spot on the floor. Uh, and then about right. halfway through a season, they get to a point where they're like, you know what? I think I understand why I'm running to, to that spot on the floor. And then by the end of the season, they're like, okay, I, I'm running to that spot on the floor, but now I need to change pace. I need to change direction. I need to get there in a different way because I'm doing this specifically to open up something for me or for someone else. And it's this natural progression. Um, how do we hit the fast forward button? How do we how do we get these guys up to speed faster? Because we are talking about the core eight plus another young player or two next season. But how do we get there? You know, it, it's not necessarily what what we and I'm saying Kings, uh, meaning the coaching staff, uh, Vladi, all of that. It's not necessarily what they do. It's got to be up to the player to dedicate and sacrifice. You you have to sacrifice your life for this, Ham. And what I mean by that is you have to sacrifice your time. I mean, ultimately, you got to sacrifice your family in a lot of cases, meaning time with your kids and different things like that, or just time, girlfriends, whatever, whatever it is. It's 
whatever you spend your time on doing, you become proficient at it. And if they spend the time on doing this and start to digest it at a really high level, um, it was interesting to watch uh, Kobe talking about um, his first time at the All-Star game in 19 and what he was looking at when he was sticking Michael Jordan because a lot of the times when I'm talking to you, those are the little things that I'm talking about. It's, it's a, there's a whole other thing that you're seeing. When you talked about the players uh, learning the plays, Ham, they go to a spot. And then after they go to a spot, then there, there, a lot of different things start coming into play. Well, one of those things is reading the defense. And the defense dictates kind of where you go, meaning they can't stop everything. And then the guy with the ball has to have the patience to read through his progressions kind of like a quarterback. And the the time that it takes to do that, it's a sacrifice, meaning that after practice or before practice, uh, I have to get with my big man and we have to run some pick and rolls and we have to talk about it as we're doing it. Like, see where you're setting it right there? I need it a little bit lower. And then he has to say, when I roll, I don't want the bounce pass right away. I want it a little later. And that's just one relationship on the floor. There are 15 guys on the team. You have to do that to every single player that's playing and that takes time. Meaning, and I'm not talking about practice, Ham. I'm not talking about weightlifting. I'm not talking about time in the training room with Pete and Manny. I'm talking about other time that's your own time that you have to sacrifice and dedicate to this thing that we call basketball if you really want to be good at it because those are the little things that separate the really good teams from the not so good things and to your point so i can answer your question how do you fast forward that those are the things that usually take you six eight ten years to learn but if you dedicate your time to it similar to like Kobe Bryant did where he sacrificed pretty much his childhood and all the hanging out and doing the stuff, you fast forward faster. And that's really my answer is what are you willing to sacrifice to take it to that next level? Yeah, you know, playing, I played softball for years, 18 years of softball. And uh, and what I would do is in warm-ups, um, I, would, I would pull my shortstop aside and then I would pull my third baseman aside when I knew I was playing first. And I, and I want to get, you know, 15, 20 throws from each of them so I can see how the ball tails. Uh, you know, a third baseman throws a drop ball to you. It starts to die off. It's a long throw. Or uh, your shortstop likes to drop down and sling, and so the ball's going to carry to the far side of the bag. And, and you got to know that your guy does that. you got to be able to read his throw and be able to anticipate what's going to happen next. And, and so a lot of what you're talking about is that, exactly. It's just taking the extra time to think about the game in a different way and say, I'm going to know what my job is, but I'm also going to know what your job is. I'm going to know your tendencies. You're going to know my tendencies. And so I think that's a really good point. Uh, when when I talked about uh, my three keys to the to the second half of the season or the, the final 24 or five, 25 games, um, my first key, Doug, was... I want to see that De'Aaron Fox and uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich are a backcourt pairing that I can use for like the next five to ten years. I want to see those guys take a step where I know that they're the guys, that that I don't need to shop for somebody this offseason. I'm good, and, and and that's something we can build around, and you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to throw out the draft completely and say I won't take a superstar guard, um, but it would have to be a superstar if I'm going to unseat one of those guys. That was my first key uh, to the 
to what I want to see going out. Do you do you get that? Because I mean, again, you played with Jason Williams, uh, and you played with Mike Bibby. Uh, I think the combination of you and Mike Bibby uh, maybe was a it fit your individual skill sets when you combine them together. And with Jason Williams, like everybody had to be alive and and ready. Um, But, you know, you understand what I'm talking about when I say, I want to see the marriage of those two. Yeah. When when you, you, you talk about me and Jay will and me and Mike, when I was with Jay will, uh, there was more scoring that, that was required of me when I was with Mike, it was more defensive playmaking. So luckily I had the ability to, to adapt to that situation, similar to the way that Bogdan does, because he does so many different things that this is where the two of them to take that next step that you're talking about, they have to work really good together and they have to start to learn each other and different things because when it's not going right, meaning the five of them on the floor, it's going to come down to the two of them because they're going to have the basketball and they're going to make decisions. But to your point, Ham, yeah, unless there is that whole Michael Jordan, Clyde Drexler, Sam Bowie situation, meaning Portland had Clyde Drexler, they drafted Sam Bowie (laughs) because they had Clyde (laughs) Drexler and they passed on Michael Jordan. Unless you had something like that, you don't pass up on that guy. You you draft that guy and then you work it out. I I don't know, maybe you run three guards or maybe your bench is bolstered because now you just got an incredible player coming off the bench. Uh, it, it, I, I would totally agree with you. This is what you want to see from them. And I, I believe that we've begun to see that it's going to be the jump. I'm not, I'm not more. The jump is going to have to be for De'Aaron Fox because the, Bogey is a little older. He's been in championship situations before. You know how he's going to work this summer. De'Aaron, this is going to be an important summer for him to take that next step so that when he faces the Mitchells and the Balls and, you know, the Westbrooks, and and I was talking about guys in his era, meaning that are his draft class, but also these these older guards, that he starts to make that next step. But I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. You want to see that growth from both of them. Yeah, and for me, with Bogdanovich, I think what we saw at uh, the Rising Stars game, it was him showing you that there's a lot more. He's just been really nice, really nice to his teammates, and he's been trying to fit in, and he's been trying to be the good guy and not just take a whole bunch of shots. I I think going forward, someone needs to tell him, hey, man, you got to average 17, 18 points a game. Like that's, that's what we need from that shooting guard position. And that's, that's like a minimum. I mean, if somehow you got up to 20 points a game while averaging five assists and and five rebounds, then we struck gold. But the next step is I I need you to not be at 12 points a game. I need you to take that next jump. And and I want you to be more selfish because I think he has that already. Absolutely. And you know what I I find interesting about that? When, When I first got here to Sacramento, I was averaging about 16 points a game. And, but see, the key is the people around me also averaged, you know, Chris was averaging 20, Vladi was averaging 18, Paige is averaging 20. So it allowed me to be more efficient where we got to be careful with Bogdan. And this is what he doesn't do is to get 17 shots. Does he shoot a bunch of bad shots to get them? And he understands the game at such a high level that what he does is he's trying to get his teammates points 
So then it takes some of the onus off of him so that the shots that he gets are open because now you have to respect Willie Pallistein rolling to the basket and things like that. So your point is so valid. But for, for him, he, he's an IQ player, and he understands that how I'm going to get the points also impact the team at a really, really high level. That's right. All right, so uh, my other keys, just so we, we get him out of the way, uh, Scal here. I need him to get back on track. And, and I love Scal. I think he's a great kid. Um, I think, you know, he can use uh, a little bit of toughness. Uh, I think he, he's learning. I think getting some perspective is a good thing. But we, we kind of covered this. I want to see more of what we saw in the OKC game where he flew out of nowhere and blocked two shots that were credited blocks, but he also had another block which was incredible that uh, a foul was called on and, you know, he blocked the continuation, which I thought was, was he showed something special. It's, it's what we kind of saw when he went to the Reno Bighorns and he starts blocking like seven shots a game. Um, I want to see that. I want to see him be more physical. I want to see him defend better uh, on the perimeter. All of these things are things that I think he can do. Uh, and then lastly, Doug, I need to see Willie Cauley-Stein take the consistency jump. And we've talked about it a million times, but uh, there comes a point where I don't care who you're playing next to. I need something out of you. I need this out of you. I need that out of you. But it needs to be every night. And I know that's been one of the tougher things for some of these Kings is sometimes I'm playing with Zebo and I don't get as many shots. Sometimes I'm playing next to Costa Kufis and he's clogging the lane so I don't get as many rebounds. I just need I just need the same thing out of Willie every night. And that's something that I think will benefit him greatly. And I also think it will help get him paid uh, because he's up for an extension this summer. The Kings might have to wait until the following summer to do to give him an extension just because I, I don't know that we know what he is as a player quite yet. Um, and this 24-game stretch, I think he's the one guy that you can point to and say, what you do here may mean more than anyone else because this is what might start to define who you are because we need you to have a starting point that you progress from next season and not like last season, the season before where we didn't know where your starting point was. We need to know what your starting point is as a player going into year four. Yeah, when you when you look at Willie and you talk about playing with players, this is where the, the mindset and the, the, the mental aspect comes in. You say when you're playing with Zebo, you're not going to get as many shots. When you're playing with Costa, the, the lane clogs up. Well, that's where you have to right away understand who you're playing with, how do they play, and what can I do still to help the team. So if, if Zebo is getting shots, if I'm not correct, Hammy doesn't make every shot, so that's when your tip dunks come in. That's when your athleticism and flying in there comes in. Well, if the lane is clogged, now you know you got a rebounder in Costa Cupas down there. Now all of a sudden your reverse pivot from the free throw line, pump fakes, and, and shooting the ball, little little uh, um, jumpers from the free throw line, elbow, and all those places come into play. There's a way, and, and it never, ever, ever, Pam, ever, ever, never, ever impacts the defensive side of the ball. That defense means huge because Zebo's not a great defender, so now you got to fly around a little more. Uh, um, Costa Kufis is a really solid defender, so now you got to make sure that you're just 
being solid on the defensive end. These are things that that, that mental aspect and understanding who's out there and what it is, it's not always the same, and you can't treat it that way. So when he starts to, to calculate it that way, we've seen the flashes, and that's, that's the frustrating part. You see the flashes and what is so possible with him. Now consistency has to come into it. All right, Doug, we're we're almost done with this week's podcast. Uh, the one other big breaking news this week, uh, the Kings have thrown their hat in the ring for the 2022-2023 All-Star Game. Um, mm-hmm. They've got to be creative. Uh, I don't think they have to be as creative as, as what people think. Everything I hear is that, you know, the hotel room issue is going to be brought up a lot. Um, but I think being able to be a host city is probably a bigger issue than the the hotel room situation. And the Kings have to sell Sacramento in a specific way uh, just because, I mean, when you're up against uh, a New Orleans or you're up against uh, a San Francisco that's considered, you know, a destination location for anyone in the world who wants to go see the Golden Gate Bridge or, you know, again, New York or Chicago, these, these are... Uh, you know, they're world-class cities, and I'm not going to say that Sacramento is not a world-class city, but they're attraction cities. And so Sacramento has yeah. to sell themselves in a different way to be an attraction city, uh, something that people want to go and, and be there, be part of it. Uh, and you also have to consider that, you know, the Warriors are building an arena, uh, and they're going to get an all-star game sooner rather than later. And will the NBA want to go back to Northern California two or three times over, uh, well, two times over the course of like a three or four year span? So these are all things that have to be brought in. But what is it that you would like to see? And do you think it's even feasible to talk all-star game? Or do you do you just understand the dynamics of the NBA and say, look, I, I just don't know that we're ever going to get one here because, you know, that that's the league. You know, I, I think that, Sacramento will get an all-star game. I think that it's going to to take some time. I I know that what's going to happen, in my opinion, obviously, is a a map is going to be laid out. That map is going to say that these are the things that need to happen. And can you make those things happen? I I think that that is something that is doable, meaning uh, we watched the Sawyer Hotel go up in roughly a, a year. So if you're, you know, Four years out, could you get enough uh, hotels and different things um, built? And are the ones that some of the ones that are here sufficient? Yeah, but you bring up a valuable point, and this is, I think, that what people may need to focus on even more than the accommodations are the ability to host something like that. Ham, meaning that you talk about Empire State Building, you talk about Golden Gate Bridge, you talk about. Broadway in New York, you talk about those type of things, what jazz clubs in New Orleans and all these type of things. And that is what's happening right now in Sacramento, meaning there's a resurgence downtown, restaurants, a lot of different things that you're seeing happen. And those are the things that are going to be able to to hold in the all-star game, meaning, you know, you got uh, convention centers and there are so many different things that go into an all-star game. They, they have this the place where they they set it up in a convention center and you can go take pictures with all these photographs of great players and you can shoot and you can dunk and it's just it's called i think it's called the nba all-star experience Mm -hmm. but those type of things can do 
do you have enough, all the different luncheons and different things like that. I think that it happens here in Sacramento. I don't know how soon it happens because the infrastructure obviously needs to be in place. And right at this particular time, we are trending in the right direction because the ripple that's happened from the King Stang and Golden One Center being built, and make no mistake about it, Golden, Golden One Center, if it's not the best arena in um, in the NBA, it is, it's right in the top two or three. I mean, just it is the most beautiful thing you want to see. So, you got that. Now you got to make a checklist and go down it. But your point, I think, is super valuable is all the little things that go with an all-star game, all the entertainment and those type of things. You got to make sure that you got that as well, Ham. Yeah, I can. it's it's what Sacramento needs. I mean, this is an all-star game is amazing. And what it does, economic impact is is spectacular. It's over $100 million in economic impact to a, to a community. Um, but you got to have something for these people to do when they come to your city. uh, That entire K street block has to be developed by then. I mean, we're talking, yeah, we're talking jazz clubs. We're talking, you know, a music scene, uh, restaurants, more and more and more restaurants, you know, because a lot of being at all-star weekend, most people, they fly in, they take a, an Uber or a cab to wherever it is they're going and then they stay within walking distance and they just try to experience everything. I love the Capitol Mall idea. I think it's abs- the renderings of the Capitol Mall extending all the way down with an amphitheater all the way down to the Tower oh, Bridge. I-, I mean, I just yeah. was blown away. I thought that is absolutely brilliant. Um, but there's got to be like three areas like that because that's how many people are there. We're talking, yeah. you know, so many people. It's ridiculous. And it you, is. You, you've got to be able to support all of that and i hope sacramento can get there i hope that they can get there by you know the 2022 2023 benchmark i think when people bring up the fact that charlotte uh north carolina is getting an all-star game that means that you know what i I think sacramento could too and so i hope that that they're on the right path and that they do get one because i think it would be really really cool to be a host city and and to get to see sacramento grow up and get that next step of you know, becoming a world-class city and and having more attractions. I mean, again, Doug, the Space Needle, why is the Space Needle there? You're a Seattle guy. Uh, World Fair. The World Fair. It was built for the World Fair, yeah. Exactly. Those those are the things. You you made sure that you had that major attraction because you wanted the event, and those are the things that you got to take into consideration. Yeah, and I think Epcot Center in... in, uh, in Florida. Florida. I mean, that's, that's the world's fair. You know, that's, yep. you build these things. So uh, to be a centerpiece, the the golden one center can be a centerpiece, but there has to be something else too, because that at the end of the day, it's, you know, 30 NBA cities, everyone has a building that they play in. It's gotta mm-hmm. be something more. And so I, I'm hoping, yep. I'm hoping that, uh, that Sacramento gets on the short list here and, and gets in there. But, uh, you just never know. Hey, Doug, do you have any final thoughts this week? Man, I am uh, I am super excited about these last uh, 25 games, Sam. I think it's uh, it, it should be a time for Sacramento Kings to, uh, fans to be excited and, and happy. Uh, I, I like the youth movement. I like the young pieces that I see 
there there is work with uh, any young piece that that you look at that that is out there and a lot of them that if this draft was redone and we've gone through this many times the drafts would be totally different but you have some pieces they're going to have to sacrifice and watching them put this work in going down the stretch is going to be invaluable where do the kings end up in the draft is obviously something to look at and i'm sure we'll go over in uh, weeks to come ham the draft and prospects and what have you it's just uh, it, it's an exciting time man i think i'm bullish on what i see with them uh you, you never know what you get but the process is just a lot of fun to experience i completely agree all right you've been listening to the king's insider podcast brought to you by wendy's if you haven't already please visit apple podcasts or google play to subscribe and if you like our podcast give us a rating and a review we would really appreciate it you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at NBCS Authentic. We'll be back next week with Doug Christie and another great guest. Thanks for tuning in, Kings fans. We'll see you very soon. <laughs>